0: Well, it is uh I am grateful to be with you again today and we will continue um, in our study of the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh you can turn to Luke chapter 3 where we will uh continue through this book. I know it's been a little slow going, but I think that sometimes As we are studying a book of the Bible, we uh, kind of decide to study a book of the Bible, and then we kind of have this schedule, this timeline, and we feel like we have to rush through to meet our timeline. And, uh, you know, God's economy of time is, is often different from our economy of time. He says, for with me, a day is as a thousand years, And a thousand years is as a day. Now, I'm not planning to live a thousand years. And I'm not planning to spend a thousand years in the book of Luke. However, I do believe that uh, as we slowly mine this book, we are still only scratching the surface. So I hope that this will encourage you to do a more uh, intense study. And just knowing uh, that these are... This is the life and the actions of Jesus Christ uh, is exciting to me because our goal as believers is to follow the example of Christ. And in order to follow an example, you have to know what that example did in order for it to be an example. So just keep that in mind as we continue our slow but steady journey through this book. Uh, We're going to start... Uh, and I will open in prayer real quick first. We're going to start with Luke 3.23, following our opening prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to You again and we thank You for the richness of the Word of God. We thank You for how readily available it is uh, in our country. Uh, we thank You for uh, the many translations and the opportunity to study if from different angles, and we just pray that we would not take for granted the precious Word of God. We pray that You would be with us and that You would be working through this service today, that You would bind Satan and keep him away and allow Your Holy Spirit to have its free and perfect work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, well, starting out this passage today is the genealogy of Joseph, Jesus' stepfather. And I know that genealogies can sometimes seem a little boring, but I also know that there's a reason that God put them in the Bible. So we're going to go ahead and read this genealogy, and then I'm going to bring on a couple thoughts, and uh, then we are going to move on to the main portion of our study today, which will be in the first part of Luke chapter 4, which will be dealing with the temptation of our Lord and Savior. But this is what it says in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. And Jesus himself, being about 30 years of age, uh, Jesus himself, as he began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Janna, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Matthias, which was the son of Amos, which was the son of Nahum, which was the son of Elsli, which was the son of Nagai, which was the son of Math, which was the son of Matthias, which was the son of Semai, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joanna. Which was the son of Risa, which was the son of Zerubbabel, which was the son of Salathiel, which was the son of Neri, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Adai, which was the son of Kosum, which was the son of Eldi, which was the son of Er, which was the son of Jos which was the son of Eleazar, which was the son of Joram, which was the son of Mathath, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Simeon, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joseph. Which was the son of Joram, which was the son of Elchion, which was the son of Meli, which was the son of Manan, which was the son of Elchium, which was the son of Matthea, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse, which was the son of Ovid, which was the son of Boaz, which was the son of Sama, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of Aminadab, which was the son of Aram, which was the son of Ephraim, which was the son of Pheraz, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abram, which was the son of Thera, which was the son of Naqior, which was the son of Sirach, which was the son of Regu, which was the son of Phalac, which was the son of Habor, which was the son of Selah, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Sam, which was the son of Noah, which was the son of Lenech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Mahalalel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Now that was a mouthful. <laughs> and that also, I, I may have even missed a line or two in there, but the, the significance, I think, of this genealogy is found in a couple different parts and that is we know that Joseph was of the house the and lineage of David we heard this in Luke chapter 2 and we know that Jesus came from this line of David now Jesus was not uh, Joseph's earthly son which are Joseph's actual son, biological son so we know that Mary came from David as well but but I think it's very significant that God told David that your throne will be established forever how could David's throne be established forever the only way that David as a man could have an eternally established throne is if he had a descendant who lived forever And not only did he have a descendant who lived forever, he had a descendant who was self-existent, as we just heard mentioned before this message. Jesus was self-existent. He allowed himself to be put into the timeline of human history for the sake of mankind. Have you ever sat back and thought about the fact that the very God, the one who created the world, chose to put Himself in the timeline of human history so that He could help you and I? So that He could live for you and I? So that He could die for you and I? So that He could be risen and living forever for you and I. I don't think we spend enough time dwelling on that. Yes, we, we, we assent intellectually to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. But do we ever think about how before in eternity past, God the Father and God the Son had this conversation and said, we know that man is going to mess up But let's plan for redemption. The Bible says that before the foundations of the world God had a plan for you and I. And that plan involved the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And as we look at this uh, genealogy, there was just there was one particular um, person that I wanted to bring out here. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Salmon, who was the father of Boaz. Now, not every scholar agrees with this, but some scholars believe that the Rahab to whom Salmon was married was the Rahab who was a harlot in the city of Jericho. And then she was rescued because of her faith in the true and living God. And then she embraced her new people, the Jews, and was married by Salmon who begot Boaz, who begot Obed, who begot Jesse, who begot David, and so on and so forth through the line of Christ. And so if we take that belief, as I have no problem doing, we can see that even a harlot was given the opportunity to be in the line of Jesus Christ. And that, to me, shows the mercy of God in a way that is a little bit unexpected. See, we often think of the Old Testament as the law and the anger of God, the wrath of God. And then we think of the New Testament as the mercy of God. But there's so much mercy in the Old Testament. And that is just one example. And I often think that perhaps because Salmon married Rahab, that it was an example to his son Boaz, who would later marry Ruth the Moabite, who gave up her Moabite gods for the true and living God. She was given the opportunity to go back to her gods. And what does she say? She says to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave thee. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will be buried. Your God shall be my God and your people shall be my people. And later on in the book of Ruth, toward the end, the people are telling Naomi after Obed is born, Ruth is just as good to you as, sevens, as ten sons. And this is someone who was outside of the commonwealth of Israel. And yet God worked in her life to bring her to the knowledge of the Holy One. And somehow, even though Naomi had said to her daughters-in-law, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me, somehow they still saw faith in Naomi. And somehow Ruth clung to that faith and allowed it to change her life. And so, as a result, we see her giving birth to Obed, who was once again, as I say, in the line... Of Jesus Christ, and he gets this mention in this genealogy, and you just see the detail with which God laid things out. He doesn't do things, He's not a God of confusion, He's a God of order. So you can read that by earthly lineage, this is fulfilling of prophecies. Because we know that Jesus would come from David. And David's throne would be established forevermore. I wonder if we could just look by way of cross reference at the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. And of course, there's probably quite a bit more out of this genealogy that could be brought out. Um, I was actually talking to Ben Viorelli yesterday because he said that he wants to try to complement some of the messages that, I, messages that I've been doing as he comes to share with you. And so we're still working out the details of that. But, but we were just talking about how there's so much in the Word of God that it's hard to cover it all. And the good thing about the Word of God is that it never gets old. But uh, does somebody have Ruth, Ruth three twenty one to twenty two? Did you say Ruth three twenty one to twenty two? It might be four. I might have written it down. To down be yeah. yeah. Okay. Ruth four. And Solomon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Okay, so this is just this is just a, a another iteration of this this uh, genealogy, and talking about how Boaz and his obedience to God eventually it eventually led to one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever seen. And a lot of times we don't see the little things we do as affecting the next generation. But everything we do, if the Lord tarries, will affect somebody else in the future. And so I think it's very significant to think about some of these things as we... Come into the main part of our message today. So, now, having looked at the genealogy, and it's interesting that I'm not sure how much farther out what year exactly Luke was written, but it's interesting that Luke takes the detail to go all the way back from Jesus to Adam, what he did. And so we have this, this, this physical genealogy laying out who Jesus is. So there's no doubt where He came from, at least from a human perspective. And I think it also kind of lays the foundation for some of Jesus' humanity. You know, we, we talk about Jesus as divine and He was 100% divine. But He also was 100% human. Something we will not comprehend Fully, this side of heaven. Or possibly in eternity. But it's amazing to think about. But anyway, beginning Luke chapter 4. Let's just look at the first four verses. And and this second point. My first point was just... uh, Jesus' credentials laid out and His ministry began. You know, it says He began to be about 30 years old. And so He begins this ministry and you think... Well, he's just going to go like gangbusters and he's going to go from town to town and he's going to start, you know, preaching hellfire and brimstone and bringing people to himself. But one of the first things that happens when he comes to begin his ministry is God leads him to the wilderness. I think I mentioned this before that often... We think, well, if I surrender to God, everything's supposed to work out the way I want it to. The doors are supposed to fly open. The opportunities are supposed to be there. And I should be so busy because I finally decided to do what God told me to do. And what did God do for Jesus? He led Him into the wilderness. And if He was anything other than the Son of God, He might have been saying, which I know He wasn't, but if if I was Him... I might have been saying, wait a second, God. You told me that I was supposed to begin my ministry. And now I'm in a desert. But this is what happens. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days did he eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered unto him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I want to bring off something really quick. That Jesus... Was 40 days in the. First of all, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost was led to the wilderness. Now you would think that being led to the wilderness might be an indication of someone's lack of faith. That maybe it was a punishment. That maybe it was for wrong done. But we know that Jesus never sinned. And I, I, it's interesting. I opened up my Facebook this morning. And a friend of mine, not knowing that I was preaching on this topic, he posted a quote that was pertaining to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And it said this in essence, this is not the whole quote by Andy Stretch, but it said this in essence, that often the greatest temptations come when we are closest to God. And this is an example. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. Now, it's interesting that it says here, being 40 days tempted of the devil. I'm not sure if the devil's temptations... Began during that 40 days. It says here, being 40 days tempted to the devil, so it's possible that what we receive, what we have in our text, was only the end of those temptations. But whatever the case may be, after 40 days, Jesus is hungry. And so my second point is, Satan tempts Jesus physically. Jesus was a man. And Luke is removing all doubt of that right now. Because Jesus is being tempted physically, and he was hungry. I've never known anyone personally that went 40 days without food. I've heard it's possible. I don't plan on attempting it anytime soon. But the point is that he ate nothing for those 40 days, and he was hungry. So, the next time you're hungry, or the next time you hear about somebody who is hungry, know that Jesus knows how that feels. It's not something that he is unfamiliar with, for he experienced it too. And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Could Jesus have made those stones into bread? Without a doubt. Jesus could have called for bread without the stones. Jesus did that when he fed the 5,000. He took a small amount of loaves and he fed 5,000 men, besides women and children. Another time, He fed 4,000. So, He could have made these stones into bread. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You see, Satan was just looking thinking about the physical. He was trying to get Jesus to think about that the physical was most important. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to live by every word, or by, by bread alone, but by every word that is, comes from the mouth of God. And you know, Jesus didn't just come up with these words off the cuff. These are very scripture. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And if the first gentleman that gets to there could read that for me. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you in manner, which you did not know, nor did your father know that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. You know, Jesus being a human, as well as God, no doubt went to Hebrew school. One of the things they had to do was to memorize at least vast portions, if not the entire Torah, which was the first five books Now, it must have been kind of weird for Jesus to be memorizing something that he, in fact, wrote as God Almighty. But the fact of the matter is, is that he knew Scripture. And when Satan tempted him, he threw it into his face. Because as powerful as the devil is, God is more powerful. The point being, Jesus had ammo. When the devil attacked, Jesus attacked right back. We need to know the scripture. Because today of all days, there is nothing that the world likes more than to misquote scripture and to get it wrong. There are people that know scripture better than I do who do not have the spirit of God dwelling in them. And so they can't rightly divide the word of truth. I heard a story not too long ago about a guy who said that he had memorized most of the Old Testament. He was in Israel. He was a, he was a Jew. And so there was a man who was visiting him and he said, okay, show me what you know. And he said, okay, where do you want me to start? And he started in Psalm chapter 1. And the man followed along in his Bible as this man quoted from Psalm chapter 1 and continued to quote the Psalms for two straight hours, word for word. And at the end of this time, you think that the story is leading up to talk about how godly this man is, how much he loves the Lord and the words of the Lord. And you come to find out that this man is an atheist who doesn't believe in the truth of the Word of God. You see, it's not the words that make the difference. It's the person who wrote the words that makes the difference. We'll find as we go on through this passage that the devil knows Scripture too. And I also think it's interesting that Jesus or that it says in Deuteronomy that God allowed the Israelites to hunger so that they would know that they don't live by bread alone. You know why manna was only allowed to you were only allowed to pick up what you needed for that day? Why was that? Because if they had been allowed to stockpile, the Israelites would have said, "I don't need you, God. I have my storage." And so God knew that, so he said, "I'm going to make them call upon me for their daily bread. So I'm going to make it stink in their cupboards if they take more." He said, I made you hunger so that you would know that you do not live by bread alone. How humbling is that? The next thing that Satan tests, he tests Jesus' loyalty. I'm amazed that the devil even tried this, but he did. And it says, and the devil, starting in verse 5, and the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now I'm not really sure what the devil meant when he said that all the kingdoms of the world were given to him. It's quite possible there was some literal truth to this because we do um, find that, that that Jesus calls the devil later on the prince of this world. He says to the Pharisees, you are the children of your father, the devil, who is a liar and the father of lies. But you know what? The devil never delivers on what he promises. He's always been the king of the bait and switch. There's only one who delivers 100% on his promises. And that's Jesus. Jesus. And why was He able to deliver on His promises? Because of the sacrifice that He made on the cross. Apart from that, He would not have been able to. And mere mortals would have backed away. But the Son of God, the very perfect One, decided to give His all for us. I don't know what this looked like. It's hard to comprehend again that the devil would would try this because Jesus created all of it and in some ways already had it under his power, but again, he gives him a promise. And again, what does Jesus do? He fires back at him with the holy scripture. I want to think about this. Jesus responds, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shall you serve. If the very Son of God used Scripture to combat Satan, don't you think that says something about where our knowledge of Scripture should be? Jesus didn't pull out a scroll and flip to Deuteronomy and read that to Satan. No, he had it committed to his memory. So that when Satan came at him, he was able to recite the Scripture. and That caused Satan to have to back down. By way of cross-reference, can we look at First John two fifteen and sixteen, and then we'll look at Deuteronomy six thirteen. If you could have those two passages ready, we'll just read them one after another, and then I will make a few comments, and we'll move on. First, First John two fifteen and sixteen. Love well, not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then Deuteronomy six, thirteen. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him. And we just read about about not loving the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why? Because the world will pass away. In one of Peter's epistles, it says that the world will melt with fervent heat. You know, when people talk about global warming in the news, or or when, when... when they uh, talk about global warming with me, I say, you know what, I believe in global warming. I absolutely do. I believe it's coming. I believe it's literal. Because the Bible says it the earth is going to be destroyed, and with it, all those who forget God. So you see, Jesus realized that if He had been given all the kingdoms of the world by the devil, even supposing that the devil could give those to Him, it would not be anything because it would pass away. The Bible says in Isaiah, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. It's the only thing that does. Yes, this world was created perfect, but Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin on to all men. And so the very earth groans for redemption. We don't often think of that because we think that the only people that believe the earth groans are the humanists, who believe that God is in everything and we need to respect the plants and not eat the animals and all this stuff. But however it works, the Bible says that the earth itself groans for the redemption that will come through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And there's a day coming when the world will be destroyed and a new world will be come to pass. A world without pain, a world without sorrow, a world without wheelchairs, a world without blizzards. Because God gives His promise. And again, Jesus is reciting from Deuteronomy, from the promises that were given to the children of Israel. Jesus is saying, these truths that were written many years ago are still true today. And the things that He said then, they're still true today. On January 12, 2014. If you are serving anyone or anything other than God, may I implore you that that will pass away. But only serving Jesus Christ will last until the next life. Going on to our third point, and I will try to speed this along a little bit so we can get out at a reasonable hour. But Satan tempts Jesus to test God, this is in four nine to twelve, and it said that he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down hence, for it is written, He will give his angels charge over thee, and in their hands shall he bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now if someone could be looking up the cross references of Deuteronomy 6.16 and Psalm 91, 11, and 12, that would be good. But before we read those, I just want to make a couple comments. The devil knew the Scripture. He quotes this verse from the Psalms pretty much word for word, but he did not understand the way it fits with the rest of the Scripture. My dad told me something that I've never forgotten, and it helps me as I study and as I read from the Word. He said the best commentary of the Bible is the Bible. He said, if an idea does not carry over throughout the Bible, it's probably a bad idea. Because you can't pull a single verse from Scripture and build a theology out of that one verse. It's very dangerous to do that. And there's plenty of professing Christians today that do that. But we can't do that. Why? Because we have to have the context of what we're reading And it has to agree with the rest of Scripture because Scripture does not disagree. Scripture does not have errors in it. It's infallible, inerrant as a whole. But by pulling a verse out here and there, you can make it say pretty much whatever you want. So we need to be careful. Let's read these cross references very very quickly here. Does someone have Deuteronomy 6.16? He shall not tempt the Lord your God as he tempted him in Massa. Okay. And Psalm 91, 11-12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Remember earlier when I was talking about the the gentleman that knew the Psalms by heart? But he was an atheist. See, see, people say, Well, I I know the Word of God. Or I go to church or I do good works. But the question is not whether you go to church. The question is now whether you do good works. The question is, do you know Him who can take away your sin? Do you know Him? As we finish up, I just want to read a few more verses from this passage, finishing with Luke 4, 13-15. And when the devil had ended all the temptations, He departed from him for a season, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through the region all about. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified of all. So he has this confirmation with the devil, and he emerges victorious. You know, I used to think that he had this confrontation to prove to God that he was sinless. That's how I understood this as a little kid. But the more I realize it, the more I realize God already knew where Jesus was. But this was just another example of God leaving us an example to follow. God's saying if the devil tempts you, realize that he tempted the Lord as well and this is how the Lord dealt with it and this is how I want you to deal with it. And then, of course, the result is that Jesus is able to go forth in power and begin His ministry. He's in the power of the Spirit. And there went out a fame of Him through all the region roundabout sometimes in our modern understanding we might wonder how in the world did Jesus get famous without facebook but he did because the people that needed to know him found out about him because god was in charge of spreading the message and if God has people for you to talk to, and if God has a mission for you, He will go before you and clear the way. And sometimes He pulls you back a little bit so that someone else can have their turn. We see this with John the Baptist and Jesus. He said, He must increase and I must decrease. We see this also with Paul and with Peter. In the first part of Acts, Peter is prominent. You read all about Peter. And then, as Acts goes on, you read less and less about Peter, and Paul comes on the scene. Not because Peter was less important, but because the book is not about Peter or Paul, but about the God that they serve. I just want us to read one more final verse, and then I will close in prayer. And that is Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen. If somebody ha- could could look that up real quick, Hebrews four fifteen. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And we just saw that. We just saw that Jesus endured temptations like we do. Jesus has been hungry. Jesus has been tempted to sacrifice everything for worldly pleasures. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be rejected. You know, sometimes in life I I feel rejected. I've gone through a lot of heartbreak in the area of relationships and things like that. And as I've gone through these things, I realized, wait a second, Jesus knows all about that. Because when people turn their backs on Him, it has to grieve His heart. Because He gave so much for us, and yet we give Him very little in return. As I close, I just want to ask you one final question. What are you giving to Jesus today? And what is He asking you to give Him? My prayer is that you will use this week to answer that question. May God's peace go with you and comfort you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be before You again. We thank You for the opportunity to read these words. We thank You that Jesus, uh, when He uh, was tempted, He used the Scriptures of the Old Testament, showing us that their power resonates into the new. Lord, we thank You and praise You for all that You've done in our lives And we pray that as we continue through this book of Luke, that You will continue to show us how to be like that man from Galilee, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In Jesus' name, Amen.